Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. On this episode, we have Matt Shade, who is an AT, but has moved into the world of financial planning and management. I've uh, seen Matt pop up on a few other podcasts, so if you've listened to those, hopefully we cover something a little bit different uh, with that, but I took a lot away from this, uh, not being overly well-versed in financial management of my own personal stuff as well so really a lot of good information here uh, especially for young professionals coming out getting that first job I still remember selecting things not entirely understanding what they meant or how to best utilize them have gotten much better um, with that in my career but it's been 10 years in and so uh, hopefully this can help people make really good decisions early on that fit their life um, or make some adjustments as they need to as they keep going. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Can't thank them enough. Uh, there are so many unique things coming out from Mueller. Uh, their initiative uh, with Corey Stringer Institute with Innovate and donating exertional heat illness equipment to schools as they become staffed with athletic trainers and some other really unique offerings that they're going to be coming that are just trying to make what we do easier and make it as convenient as possible so please check them out without further ado please enjoy this episode episode of athletic training chat we are on with matt shade who is an athletic trainer but has moved into the world of finance which i'm just talking off air there's so many nuances and things we can go to i'm looking forward to having these conversations but um, i had seen matt kind of popping up on the internet all over the place hadn't had a chance to reach out yet but then we interviewed uh, mike khan um, in the industrial setting and he help make this connection so this was the perfect opportunity uh to actually get on and have the discussion and so before we get into it i'm going to turn it over to matt he's done quite a bit um in his career just from what i was looking at from working in collegiate setting secondary setting position setting and i believe you were an ad at a high school for a period of time to That's now correct. doing um what you're doing now so um, with that, I will turn it over to you to kind of fill in your background and then we'll jump into kind of talking financials and what that means for the athletic training profession. Yeah, and thanks for the introduction, Joel, and thanks for having me on. Um, always appreciate seeing other athletic trainers giving back to the profession and providing this type of, you know, education that we typically don't get um, in the in our schooling. So, you know, my career, people often ask, how did you get to you know, finance from athletic training. And my journey started back in 2006. Um, I finished in that summer. Not only did I finish my master's degree, but I also got my first job, which was a 1099 employee position. I got married and bought my first house all within about three months. And to everyone on the outside, it was like, hey, man, this guy's life is right on track. But <laughs> it was really the beginning of financial derailment. And what happened was we got stuck in a horrible mortgage. 
2006, they were giving mortgages out. I didn't have two years of tax returns. Didn't know what I didn't know going into the mortgage situation at the age of 23. And my wife and I, we got stuck in a 100% interest only mortgage for 10 years. And we were led to believe you'll be fine in two years. Just go ahead and refinance. The market's going up. You'll be great. Well, for those of you around in 2008, that's when the housing market completely crashed. So now were we not only paying 100% interest only, we were upside down on the mortgage. I couldn't get out. So at the time I was working as a secondary school athletic trainer, 1099 contract. And I felt my only way out was to now chase, chase the dollar, try to find another job that was going to pay me more that I could get out of the situation. So started exploring, came across a startup company and it was, they were going to give me a title of um, the sports medicine manager. I built three high school athletic training contracts. But what I didn't know was the operating agreements, buy-sell agreements. I was like, hey, I'm just getting paid more and I'm doing sports medicine. I should be fine. Well, about three months into the job, I woke up on a Friday morning and I didn't receive a paycheck. And I called the owner of the company and I said, hey, I don't know if this was a mistake. I didn't get paid today. And he's like, oh, sorry, Matt, meant to give you a heads up, going through some growing pains. And I'll fast forward this story, but... Um, in the end, he was running two different companies, basically robbing Peter to pay Paul, shifting funds around. <laughs> and I ended up going three months, no pay, was paying my own staff out of my own pocket, went further into debt. So I was like, well, I got to do what I got to do. So I chased the dollar again, went back to more of a traditional type setting, um, working with an orthopedic physician as a physician extender. Went on, became a sports medicine supervisor. Um, my master's degree was in sports management. So worked my way up into an athletic director role. And now you fast forward from 2009 to 2015, six years. Got out of the mortgage situation. Got my you know, financial footing again. Got out of the debt that I was in. Life was good. And then one morning I was on cafeteria duty and just words of wisdom. If you ever sign a contract and says other duties as assigned, make sure cafeteria duty is not on there. Um, but I was on cafeteria duty. My phone rang. Didn't recognize the number and I picked it up. Here was a law firm for a physician I worked for in 2012. And I had never seen the patient. The patient was a direct met to the hospital, but the physician I worked for did the surgery. Unfortunately, the patient passed away. And I had simply in the patient's chart, I'd received one phone call that I returned a phone call. And this is for athletic trainers. You know, documentation is key. What saved me from the case was I had a post-it note that said left voice message, go to ER immediately. And I dated it, timed it, and put my initials on it. So that dropped me from the case. But on that one phone call, I was like, I'm back to, am I going to lose everything that I've worked for? And at that point, I realized that this is the stuff that we're not taught in school. Um, and going through working for different companies, being a sports medicine supervisor, the most financial discussions we have is you walk into the HR department, they hand you a folder and say, here's your benefits. Let us know what you want to sign up for yep. and turn it back in, you know, in a few days. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make it my calling to go educate athletic trainers on how to make 
good financial decisions, how to be financially educated. And if they want to implement strategies with me, fine. If they want to go to another financial professional and implement strategies, that's fine too. But at least I can provide the education. Wow, that's a heck of a background. And thanks for sharing you know, the stories of the trials and tribulations along the way. I know um, I've almost run into issues myself, like signing up for my HMO that it was with the hospital I wanted, but it was a different region, not the region that I was in, even though they list all the regions you can be in because it was within a state system, which they could have made it simpler, but chose not to, because obviously they don't know where you live either. But yeah, I've almost run into that and had to write my sob story letter to the people to get it changed before, <laughs> before I started getting medical bills that I shouldn't have been getting. So I, I hear you there. It's easy to overlook. It is lots of terms and conditions, right? It's all about the terms and conditions. Um, so, man, I just got a whole bunch more questions to ask you based on just all the story you got, but we'll, we'll dive into those after we get to a couple of these. Um, we were talking off air, um, and let's maybe start back at the beginning. Um, you know, your, that first job out of, you know, grad school. Um, now, a lot of people, you know, MSAT programs or wherever they're coming out of, um, we were talking that my program director said, you know, you got to take a look at the entirety of the job, like $5,000 in salary could be completely not worth it compared to $5 a month in health care benefits, or, you know, if that's what you're paying in, or they're going to match to a higher percentage of your retirement, depending on what you want to do um, with that. I would love your take on what maybe advice you would give for somebody that's looking for that first job um, other than all of them should probably pay higher than they are, but that's a, probably an argument for another day. If there's something that people can be paying attention to, to try and maximize that and make in essence, the quote right decision. Yeah. And that's a loaded question because yeah. there's so many <laughs> variables, right? I, sure. you know, we, I do a whole episode on, on this topic alone. Um, you know, my first job, I had two offers on the table. One was at a division three school and it was going to pay $25,000. The other was 1099 secondary school and it was going to pay 32,000 for the year. Yep. So on paper, I was like, all right, that's $7,000 difference. I also looked at the commute times. The D3 school was about an hour away. The high school was about 15 minutes away. So wow. I'm like, all right, gas time and all that travel time, uh, you know, probably save money. But what, what you sacrifice is, to your point, on the retirement plans. Sometimes the W-2 employers are going to offer you a match, uh, and that's free money on the retirement. And for it all depends on what stage you're at in your life, too. That 3% match or you know 6%, whatever it is, it's great. But also, you have to keep in mind, well, I really can't touch that money anyway until I'm 59 and a half without paying penalties and you know sure. all that kind of stuff. So it's also a decision of how soon am I going to need this money? That extra money that's being given to me, when do I need it? And it's really understanding your cash flow and cash flow hierarchy. And that's um, individual to individual. You know, it, it can vary um, greatly and also depends on where you're living, the cost of living in the area. Um, other benefits that come with the W-2 
a lot of times there's a small life insurance policy, long-term disability, short-term disability. Uh, maybe they cover continuing education for yourself. So there could be a lot of perks built into it where if you go to that 1099, it's like, all right, I'm going to have to supplement that myself. Yep. On the flip side, 1099s, you know, you, you, there's tax advantages. You can write off more on taxes and, um, you know, gas mileage, cell phones, even if you have an office space in your house that's designated as office space, you can use that. Um, so a lot of factors to consider and, and to weigh out. And the one thing that I always encourage professionals, don't look at just the numbers because there's also that emotional, what are your career goals? What, sure. is, what lifestyle do you want? And, um, you know, really think about that is it a stepping stone? Is it where you want to sit down and plant yourself for a long period of time? And all that has to be taken in, into consideration as well. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, the next question that you kind of answered, but I just, what do you see from yours, you know, maybe in your career now, um, or, you know, I'm 35 um, have our first kid a couple of years ago, got another one on the way. Do you see, you know, are there potentially benefits that could potentially make up for a lesser salary um, given contextual aspects of your life? I know I made the decision of looking at, you know, high deductible insurance plans when I was single, didn't, mm -hmm. you know, didn't go to the doctor, had no longstanding things and figured if anything bad was going to happen. I was going to pay a bunch of money anyway. Um, so might as well, you know, build up a health savings account because that was part of the yeah. deal as well. Versus as soon as we got married and we're planning on having our first child, we quickly switched back over to a more <laughs> traditional plan just because we knew we were going to end up at the doctor quite a bit just by the nature of that. So any thoughts or insight on those type of things? Yeah, when it, those type of decisions, it's funny how life changes and with finances, you constantly have to change. You know, so many people, I think, go in with the mentality of, oh, I can just set it and forget it. Yes. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, you know, athletes, we work with athletes every day. We know day in and day out, they have to go, you know, on their workout programs. There's going to be areas where they make great improvements and then they're going to plateau a little bit. And then they may have an injury or a little setback and it's constantly changing. Finances is the same thing. And, you know, to your experience on um, health insurance, it's a big one. And it comes down to so many of us, especially athletic trainers, we're, you know, overpaid or underpaid, overworked, right? Overworked, underpaid. And, you know, every dollar we become, we have a scarcity mindset almost. And so we immediately think of cost. And sometimes we have to transition that mindset of we can't focus just on the cost, but we have to look at the value that it's providing. And in your case, you know, you get married, you have kids, there's more value to you. Yes, it's going to cost you more, but there's more value being able to transfer that risk, knowing that, hey, there's people that are dependent on me. Um, if they have to go to the hospital, and what if all three of us, you know, uh, COVID, for instance, so many of sure. us experienced COVID recently. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but just multiple visits all of a sudden it adds up and you're like, okay, I'm actually going to be paying more now. So I'd rather transfer the risk. I'm going to take out a better insurance policy, transfer that to the insurance provider. 
And yeah, it's going to cost me a little bit more per month, but I, there's value there. I can sleep at night. I know my family's going to be taken care of. And in the event we have high medical bills, we can have everything covered. Um, the same holds true. I'm a big component of your income is your most valuable asset. And when you're young and just getting started, we don't really think about that. But then as you start to you know, settle down, have a family and progress, it becomes even more and more valuable. And as athletic trainers, we come out, many of us come out with student loan debt, you know, big mounds of that. And I related to like car insurance here in PA, you're required to have car insurance. If you buy a car, you can't drive off the lot. That car in value goes down from the time you drive it off the lot. Right. But your income, your ability to earn income as an athletic trainer from day one is only going up. And over 30, 40 years, it's an increasing asset. So to spend a little bit of money of cost to protect it, you know, through your disability insurance, uh, making sure you have as much coverage in place as you can, your professional liability insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a business owner, there's general liability, umbrella insurance. Um, as you start, you know, the family, the life insurance, you want to make sure that economically you're keeping every dollar that you deserve. You know, you worked hard to become an athletic trainer. You've earned that certification. You deserve to get paid out regardless of what happens in life outside of, you know, the job. No, I think that is so important and, you know, well said <laughs> uh, just to kind of bring that about where, and is it cliche to say it's all looking at it as that investment, you know, in yourself to protect it um, versus just kind of waving off that maybe you don't yeah. need it. Uh, Cause I know there's always arguments. Do you need to get every warranty on every piece of electronic equipment you buy? <laughs> maybe not, but um, this is obviously a little different. Yeah. And it's funny because you talk about that. Like you, you buy a cell phone. How many of us buy insurance on the cell phone? We buy you know, you buy all the stuff and those are depreciating assets. Right. Those are what, you know, we are bombarded with day in and day out to make, you know, the warranties and, and all this, but most of that stuff is going to lose value, but your income and your ability to generate income is by far your most valuable asset, but we don't talk about how we can protect it and make sure that we can keep as much money on our balance sheet as possible. Do you have some like, uh, this is again, they're all very broad questions. So I apologize for that in advance, like, okay. you know, like a top tips or whatever to, to protect that. We've talked a little bit about, you know, looking at does life insurance plans get included, you know, as part of your employment and, or do you get one outside of it or, you know, the disability policies, if something were to happen, you know, to be able to still um, be able to, you know, turn those on to get income. I didn't fully realize that that's how it works in a lot of places with maternity leave, um, mm -hmm. that you're actually being put on short-term disability um, for that. It's not just your company handing you, you know, in essence, vacation um, to right. do that. That was, a, I just never, never had a reason to know it until now but was something i learned and now we've gotten a little bit more creative with baby number two coming on how to get a full leave and still make sure that we're not financially hurting after it yeah yeah with um so uh, you know since you start talking about the disability we'll go down that road sure. the um so with disability a lot of times you're if you're a w-2 employee 
a lot of employers will offer you short-term and long-term disability. The long-term disability, what you want to read is how much um, coverage do you get with that if you had to go out on a long-term disability claim. Now, the average uh, statistic right now in the U.S., average long-term disability is about two, uh, it's like 2.4 years is, is average. So it, ask yourself, how long can I, can I go two years without any income? Now, your employer will, in their group benefits, it often specifies a percentage. It might be 50%, 60%. Mm-hmm. If you work for a school system, it might be up to 66 and two-thirds percent of your income. But what you have to keep in mind is that benefit. So let's say you go out on a claim, you make, I'm just going to use round numbers, you make $4,000 um, a month. So the company's going to pay you 2000 while you're out. But now that 2000 is going to be taxed. Mm-hmm. So now you're dropping down even less. Now, if you're on a disability, chances are you have more medical bills. You know, you're seeing the doctors more. And you have to ask yourself, can I live off of that? Yep. What does that do to me financially if I don't have that? So there's usually, it's an individual plan that you take out um, to supplement that and close that gap between the 50 or 60% and the 100. Sure. Narrow that gap. And that benefit money on an individual plan is not taxed. So when you get that benefit, it now gets you closer to that $4,000 a month right. that you can live off of. It's about buying yourself time. But again, what you have to take into consideration is when I look at short-term and long-term disability, most short-term is about three months at the max. So our goal is to work with our clients to say, hey, can we get you three months living expenses, liquid money that you have as a safety net that you could sustain a short-term disability? But you know, let's transfer that risk for the long-term disability. Let's, and most of the time, I've worked with a lot of different providers. Uh, you know, I'm brokered with over 35 different insurance companies. And the big thing that I focus on with athletic trainers is we want to make sure that you have what's called true own occupation. And there's a, even group benefits does not have those term, terms and conditions in it. So what they say is, well, you know, Joel, uh, sorry, you can't work as an athletic trainer, but you are able to go be a greeter at Walmart. You know, so because you can earn income, we're not going to pay out the claim because you can go do another occupation. Sure. What I look for is, especially medical professionals, athletic trainers, physical therapists, doctors, Mm -hmm. I want true own occupation. So if you can't work as an athletic trainer, you can still earn that income. If you have to go on a disability claim, you can still go, you can go teach, you can go do something else, make that income, but you're still gaining that other salary because- you can't work as an athletic trainer. So there's very few insurance companies that do classify um, and provide true own occupation for athletic trainers. And I've gone to battle with some because they didn't even recognize us as an occupation class, you know, shocking. Right. And it's like, you go, it's like, what's the difference? You know, you'll ensure physician assistants, you'll ensure physical therapists. Why not an athletic trainer? And again, that's just advocacy for the the profession, building awareness, because there's people out there on the insurance and that they don't even understand what we do. So, right. Yeah. Oh, insurance and how that can all be. You know, we're not recognized <laughs> to bill for it. We're not recognized that they'll cover us as a profession. profession. Oh, it just, it never seems to end. Yep. Um, 
you know, just going back again to, you know, we're not taught a lot of this stuff. Uh, finance can be kind of this like, you know, elephant in the room that like you should know about it, but it's confusing to know about it. Um, and again, I understand. Um, and for everybody listening, everything is situational. Um, but in terms of looking at just savings and general recommendations, because again, um, and maybe this would tie into it too, you know, some people come out with way more student loan debt than other people, your GA position, where maybe you got a stipend to not have to necessarily take out a lot of loans, you know, to get through school, but maybe you took out some just to not have to live, um, you know, with six roommates um, in a four bedroom place type of a thing. Um, but looking at that, I know for me, I always tried to put some money away, whether that was the right idea, you know, some is good, but would it made more sense to pay down some debt? I know that was a big eye opener to me. I saw what I was paying in principal versus interest on some student loans and about through my computer across the room and then just decided every like spare cent that I could afford was just going to go to knocking that down um, without leaving me hanging. But um okay. That was, yeah. it worked for me. And I was thankfully had the ability to do that, which I understand not everybody does. Uh, but just if some general thoughts on, you know, saving, especially early on in your career, you know, with retirement, you know, do you have to open another, you know, IRA for yourself if you're getting some retirement from your employer, so on and so forth? Yeah, getting started is always the hardest because society sets us up almost behind the eight ball right from the start. You come out of college. Yeah. And even if you don't have, if you were fortunate enough to get a scholarship or, you know, your, your family paid for your schooling, but from day one, it's all right, well, I have to find a place to live. I need a car to get me to and from work on, oh, you know, cell phone. And it's like, I need all this stuff to get started, but I haven't even earned the first paycheck yet. So you're signing yourself up for these obligations and mm -hmm. payment and, you know, throw in there, if you do have student loans, you come out and say, all right, I got to start paying these student loans back. And so all of a sudden our mindset is, Hey, we're just giving money to everyone else except for paying ourselves first. Sure. And it's again, it comes down to the cash flow hierarchy. Um, and I always recommend really having a firm grasp on your budget right from the start. And, you know, don't overcommit too early. And, a lot of times it takes small steps to begin building. Um, athletic trainers, we're not used to having thousands of dollars in the bank account, but how would it feel if you did have thousands of dollars? And most of us will go ahead and overpay on student loans, credit card debt right away because we hear that so often, you know, and mathematically, yes, it does make sense that the faster you pay off debt, you save on the interest, and then you can redirect those dollars elsewhere. But what we need to be very careful of is if we go too aggressive and we don't leave enough liquid cash for ourselves and we're not paying ourselves, it's almost like if you prioritize debt today, you don't have to prioritize debt tomorrow because life's going to happen. There's mm -hmm. you know, cars going to break down. You take your car in the shop and you're lucky to get out of there without a $600, $800 bill. Sure. You don't have the cash to pay for it. Well, now I'm just going right back into debt. I have to put that on the credit card and I just paid off, you know, so much money on that throwing extra payments to that or paying extra towards my student loans. So sometimes it makes sense to delay, you know, that the retirement contributions, um, maybe paying off debt, 
buy yourself like six months, eight months, build up a cushion first that you're comfortable with. And from there, then start attacking, you know, different goals and objectives. So once you have cash flow and you're able to direct the dollars where you want it to go, there's so much less stress for you. There's less anxiety. You don't feel that need of, oh, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And sometimes it just takes a discipline, you know, two months, four months, six months to save like crazy, build a little cushion and then decide, okay, what's going to be my next step to get aggressive at achieving my other goals. I think that sounds really good. Cause have you, your recommendation, you know, I've heard some people three months, you know, you kind of want three months of a cushion. Like if you can figure out, you know, is it three months of what your paycheck is or whatever, so that if the bottom did drop out for some reason, you at least bought yourself some time or, you know, the yeah. place you were working for went under and you're no longer getting a paycheck. General ideas or recommendations there. Yeah, it, it, it comes individual situation sure. or what, what you're comfortable with. Um, usually what we try to stress with our clients is let's start off, depending on where you're at, let's start off, let's get a thousand dollars in the bank. You know, let's see how that feels for you. And then that three months is our next target date. Okay. And then from there it's, we say, Hey, how much liquid cash do you, do you feel comfortable having three months living expenses there in the bank account? Or do you feel like, you know, if I do go try to save four or five months that that money's kind of, you know, by not being invested or not working for me elsewhere, do I sure. want that to start working for me? And there's people out there like, no, you know what? I feel more comfortable with six months and it's based on my job or based on a prior experience that they had. I want yeah. six months. Some people are a year. You know, I want a year of liquidity um, there. And so it's just really understanding, you know, what, again, what your goals, what your concerns are, what your prior experiences are with money. And then when you save beyond that, once you have that three months, six months savings, it's then identifying, does it make sense, you know, to go into investment accounts that are liquid? Do we put it away for the long term for retirement? Sure. And what's what's next on the agenda? And are you contributing to a retirement plan already? Are you not? And you know, coming up with strategies because again, whole two different conversations. There's the accumulation years. Like I'm 38. And how old did you say you were, Joel? 35. 35. So, you know, right now we're in the accumulation years. We're trying to grow our money, get to retirement. Yep. But we also have to begin strategizing. What are the distribution years going to look like? Is all my money in one bucket? Is all that exposed to, you know, the market? Right. And when you look at, even right now, like the economy has been crazy. Stock market's been all over the place. Right. <laughs> so what if, what if we were just entering retirement in January and we're like, we have to pull out, but the market has tanked. I don't want to pull out the market when the market's down, but right. I need money to live on. So you have to strategize all along and have different buckets so that when the stuff that's outside of our control happens, we have options and we have flexibility to say, okay, I, I can pull from this bucket. I'm going to buy myself time. I'm going to let that bucket recover. And um, again, most of the time people think, oh, I'm just going to contribute to my 403B, my 401k plan, and I'm good. Yep. You know, I'm set yep. up for retirement. And it's, it's not the case. 
I, that's an important point, and this is going to sound like me asking for personal advice, which it kind of is, but um, just in terms of you kind of mentioned, you know, the differences in liquid type accounts where you can get access to that money um, versus, you know, having going into a retirement account. And yes, you can still get access to that money, but you're going to get crushed um, underneath, you know, taxes and everything like that. Um but if people wanted to maybe have their money do a little bit of work for them, but still have it liquid, is there any really good option out there? You know, savings account rates as for as long as I've been alive, I'm pretty sure sucked. Um, you know, I've threw some money in a money market. The rate was a little better then it's been bad and it hasn't really done anything um, since then. So I think it, makes me like six bucks a month or, you know, you know <laughs> compound interest is supposed to be what saves you, but apparently not in those. Anything that, you know, you would maybe recommend for somebody that's maybe looking to try and do a little saving, but still have access to that, um, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So most of us, when we fill out our retirement plans at work, we fill out a risk tolerance questionnaire. Yep. Right. And then so that determines, are you aggressive? Are you conservative? You know, where do you fall on the spectrum and what type of accounts that money's invested in? Same hold true, you know, on just regular investing. Um, you know, you're to your point, cash, it's great. It's liquid. It's there. You, you can access it uh, within minutes. You know, you can go to an ATM, pull cash out, have it. Downfall with that is you're exposed to inflation risk. So right now, like our dollars in the bank, aren't, it's not keeping up with inflation. You look at inflation this year, it's, it's crazy. So you're in essence losing a little bit of money, yep. but you have the liquidity for the day to day. Um, we utilize, we call it a brokerage account on the investment side. And it's very similar to your 401k, 403Bs where it's a portfolio. You can select a whole bunch of different funds. And in that type of investment account though, you can, um, if you need access to it, you can get it within three to five business days, generally speaking. Yep. So it's in the markets investing. And so people who are, um, maybe they have a goal to, to buy a house in five to seven years and they sure. want to save up, you know, they're putting that money into, into a brokerage account and based on your risk tolerance depends on what type of portfolio it's put in and, and how it's being invested. Um, other places, people don't think about it, but, uh, and Unfortunately, it has a bad rap in the industry, but cash value life insurance. And there's there's good products and there's bad products uh, when it comes to cash value life insurance. But there are some products out there where, you know, the dividend rates right now are anywhere from four or five percent, not correlated to the market. You have guarantees, guaranteed growth. You can borrow against it, kind of become your own bank, plus have a life insurance in place for yourself. Where you have to be tricky or where you have to be mindful because it can get tricky is um, some life insurance companies will blend in. It'll be called like a universal or variable mm -hmm. life policy. That money's actually exposed in the stock market. And my personal belief is, no, if, I'm, if I want money out of the market, I'm keeping it out of the market. I'm not going to try to blend the two. Sure. So that's, and that's just my own personal philosophy. Oh, that makes um, sense. But you know, so there's, there's opportunities there. And again, like that type of strategy though, it takes you about seven, eight years before it's a really kickoff. So if you need the funds right away, it's probably not the right vehicle for you. Sure. But if you're like, okay, 
I want something for like 10 to 20 years out. Um, I use mine. It's my kid's uh, college savings plan, to be honest with you. I'm dropping money into that. And then I'm just going to use that to pay for their, their college education. Um, so it, you know, I'm using the same dollar to accomplish two different tasks. I have life insurance on myself, but I'm going to have cash value there for my kids that I, that I can pull out. Um, when Sounds like comes. a solid two for one. Yeah. Yeah. Why not, man? Maximize the dollar. Right. So, um, it's, so those are a couple of options. And then, you know, you, you have your IRAs, Roth IRAs. Um, but again, that's long-term money. That's money that right. you're willing to say, Hey, I'm not going to touch this for, you know, until I get to retirement. Um, and the, the long-term planning strategy. And a lot of times too, you just have to be mindful if you want, if you need that money or know you're going to need that money in a relatively short period of time, you don't want to expose it to as much risk. You don't want to get as aggressive when you're investing it, but right. you know, you want to take advantage of some upside potential if you can. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. Again, kind of a very broad and overarching, but as you referenced, you know, you work with athletic trainers and physical therapists, you know, doctors and whatnot um, within that kind of realm. Obviously, we're talking more specific to ATs. I'm not sure how many, how big a portion of your clients they are, but what would you say is some of their most overlooked or maybe the biggest misconceptions um, that the profession has around finances? Um, it's first and foremost, I think it's, they worry about cost, right? What's this going yep. to cost me? Sure. It's the first biggest concern. And just like we're doing today, it's a conversation. And a lot of times when you meet with financial professionals, the majority of us, you can do fee-based planning where there's a fee to sit down and have a conversation. My philosophy is I'm going to provide the education. It doesn't cost you anything. And at the end of the day, if you're willing to open up and really understanding every aspect of your financial world. Um, so many times we have tunnel vision, right? You have that next goal in mind. All right. I sure. just want to talk investing. I just want to talk buying a house or buying a car, whatever it is, but it's really getting organized and laying out your finances, knowing um, every aspect. And it's no different than us going to a doctor and any specialist that you see, they're going to do a health history. They're going to take your vitals. They're going to understand the baseline of you. And when it comes to financial decisions, you, whoever you work with, you need to make sure that they understand every aspect of your financial world because you can't provide a good recommendation that makes sense. Because if you're transferring a dollar anywhere on that budget sheet, there's another area that's going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. um, so it takes time to build that out. Uh, our system is it's usually two to three meetings just to get organized, make sure we're all on the same page. We have the goals and everything listed out and have as much data, the objective data in front of us that we can then say, okay, this is probably your next logical step uh, to take. And there's also, it's a process. It's one step at a time. It's hard to accomplish a lot of different tasks all at the same time. And you know, you just have to, to break it down and understand, all right, what is, what are the red flags that need addressed today? What are things that I can, you know, put off for a little bit? And then what are things I don't really need to worry about for, you know, a couple of years? This is going to be kind of a loaded question as you are 
a financial professional. Um, but uh, it's one I went through personally myself, you know, read some financial books, found it interesting, kind of looked at some different things. Uh, it gets very over for me, it got overwhelming and confusing relatively quickly um, on which way you should go. Um, thought I was doing a decent job. Um, wasn't sure, you know, because a lot of these financial books are saying, hey, you don't need a financial planner. They're just taking money out of your bottom line. And, you know, is it really worth it? Um, my now wife had a financial planner, was doing well by them. Um, I've had another, you know, buddies go into financial planning. And we now work with one now who um, kind of laid out, I believe, a similar way where they get a basically a percentage of how we do not, there's no fee up front on anything. And so in the long term, in theory, if we do better, they do better, you know, type of thing. And mm -hmm. we may end up paying them more, but it's only if we do better that they end up doing better um, type okay. of a scenario. But um, a lot of rambling, you know, does everybody need a financial planner? If they, if you think so, like, what should they look for? How to best go about that to find the right person? Um, or any other misconceptions, because obviously the finance world is huge and becoming just bigger um, as it seems and when it'll ever stop. But um, I'll stop talking and let you answer now. No, that's good. So I'm going to come at it from a couple different angles, but the perfect the first start is look at it as like athletic training, right? We get upset when personal trainers and, you know, when or we get called a trainer or personal trainer, like the titles, right? There's so many different titles in the financial industry. And one of the most common you hear is financial coach. That, that tends to be a big one. Now, when you see that, a lot of times financial coaches aren't licensed. Sure. So they can basically say, do whatever they want. They're not held to any um, standard by uh, FINRA, the SEC. And a lot of times they discharge you know, for coaching, mentoring, um, you know, they set a fee per session and, you know, you're paying out of pocket for that financial. When you see financial, I'm a financial representative. Um, and that just means I don't have all the licenses yet. I'm still working towards it, okay. but on the flip side, I surround myself with this financial team. So between us, uh, there's five of us that work together on a regular basis we have everything from, we have a guy on our team who could be a compliance officer. We have another guy who's a CPA, but now he's also um, series seven, series 65 does investments. Uh, we have an investment specialist, disability insurance specialist. So I don't pretend that I know everything. And it's like an athletic trainer. Athlete comes to you, you assess it. And you're like, all right, we need to see a specialist now for your injury. You're going to go see the knee specialist. They go and then you come back and, you know, you're working with them. And that's how we built our, our team. So in any aspect, I'm more of the, let's assess the situation. Let's get organized. Let's document. And now hey, I'm going to introduce you to the specialist and let's see what they can offer us, right. To build it out. Um, when it comes to the, the fees and expenses, um, I, I always laugh too with athletic trainers because we always, you know, we want to get paid for our services, right. And mm -hmm. you know, we provide value. Well, it's the same thing with financial representatives, advisors. We're providing you a value, the education. And where now, again, I'm with an independent uh, firm. So I'm brokered with 35 different companies, investment size. I can go, we have um, our investment team uses 
several different companies. So we can really say, all right, what's the best for the client? What do they need? We're not held captive. And actually when I started, I worked for a captive company where I was only really encouraged to sell one type of product. And at that point, yeah. I felt like a salesman that I wasn't providing value. So um, by going this route, it's, hey, I can serve. It doesn't matter to me where I place the business. The industry is so regulated that the cost behind the scenes are kind of set in place. It's, hey, this insurance product, it's this is the commission on it, this investment strategy. It's, you know, there's basis points. But it's so we don't have any say in that. It's basically the the companies behind the scenes say this is what um, is the expense, and we're always fully transparent with our our clients on that. It's here's the product. This is what's going to do for you. These are the expense costs, and this is how it breaks down. And there's a lot of people like you hear one percent, or you know maybe it's one point two percent, whatever you're sure. on it. But that money goes goes to us that are on the account. It goes to our firm. It goes to the resources. So that 1%, like it, we might be bringing home 0.2%. Like it's sure. at, at the end of the day. So it gets divided a lot of different ways for all the behind the scenes, all the paper processing and the software programs that we have to use. And so there's a lot of, a lot of costs behind the scenes that people don't even realize is going on. But as the end user, you're like, Oh, okay. This is my expense cost, my expense ratio. And um, also ask for break points. You know, if you have so much business with one company, a lot of times every, it's usually on $500,000 increments. It's pretty big, but it starts to drop on your expense costs just because you have more money there within that institution working. They can drop your expense costs down a little bit. Sounds like a good problem to have. Yeah, we're, we're going to work towards that one. There you go. <laughs> Anything else we haven't really covered um, within the financial realm, especially as it relates to athletic trainers that you'd like to talk about? Uh, the one thing I forgot to mention on when we're talking about savings and sure. kind of, what is the right amount. If you're having a hard time starting to get savings, again, break it down. Um, I use this example. If I say, Hey, Joel, dude, I'm sorry. I forgot my wallet at home. Do you have five bucks I can borrow? Would you lend me five bucks today? And if Probably. I said, I pay you back. Probably. Yeah. All right. So do that to yourself on, on the savings. It's, Hey, my savings got, it needs five bucks today. I'm just going to put that away. I'm going to get it back at some point. It's there. It's going to be there for when I need it. And you know, ideally we want to save about 15 to 20% of our income because you can control your savings rate. You can't control rate of return, what the stock market's doing, things like that. The only thing that you can really control is how much you save. And by saving that amount and then redirecting it to the appropriate buckets, going back to that, um, you know, prior discussion, now you can decide where you want to pull from. And a lot of times when, you know, you first hear 15, 20%, people are like, I can't do that. I'm living paycheck to paycheck as it is. I don't have that. Right. Start small. Um, another tactic I, I personally used to get going was, all right, I'm getting serious about my finances. I work eight hours a day. What is my hourly rate? And that sounds like 35 bucks. I'm taking one hour of my day. Today I work set, or eight hours. One hour is going for my tomorrow's. 
the other seven hours, I'm going to pay myself that I can use that today to live, pay my debts and, you know, go out to dinner, whatever. And I physically every day made a physical transfer, $35, $35. And it built the habit. And then all of a sudden it was like, huh, well, I can do $40. Oh, I can, mm. I can. And you, you start to, you shift your lifestyle changes a little bit without realizing it, without putting yourself on a financial diet. And you gradually just, you know, your body becomes conditioned, your lifestyle becomes conditioned to it. And all of a sudden it's, it's easier and you can increase it. Then you get a pay raise and you're like, well, I can now direct those dollars. I don't really need that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy sure. with life. Sure. Meet my needs. So. I like that. Uh, that's a good mind kind of shift with it. I hadn't thought of that one before. I like that one a lot. So thank you for yeah, sharing. Yeah. Take it for what it's worth. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, if nothing else, then we'll jump into the athletic training chat questions, if that sounds yeah. good to you. Let's go. So the first one is, where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? Um, and if you, from the financial side, if you've got kind of a unique lens and want to focus on that, I'd be curious as to your thoughts there. Yeah, seeing a lot more private practice starting to open up and opportunities um, for athlete trainers to start their own business. I see a lot of athlete trainers taking that leap and, and starting their own business, own companies. Um, the virtual side of, I think COVID brought it to our attention pretty quickly, but how can we leverage our services and be in a virtual format? And unfortunately, there's going to be, I'm fearful that there's going to be a supply shortage of athletic trainers. I think we're already starting to see that uh, just yep. the number of postings and low pay, but on the flip side, it's supply and demand. So hopefully it's going to take that dip, but hopefully we see better pays because there's going to be more of a demand. Um, hopefully the schools, uh, the industrial setting, these other um, institutions say, Hey, you know what? There is value there. We need it. And we're willing to pay more. Totally agree, because I don't know who else you're going to have fill those roles and be able to provide the same same thing. And I feel like the way the world is, less isn't going to be an, be an option. There's just too much risk mm -hmm. without it. Yeah. What advice would you go back and give yourself as a young athletic trainer uh, when it came to financial management? And as you told us, went through a couple things that you learned a lot from. Yeah. Stay educated. I, I would have learned and tried to, to soak up as much information as I could uh, not be scared to have a conversation and not be embarrassed to reach out to people. Um, you know, we all come from usually our, our parents or upbringing guardians. That's where we learn finances from. And if we don't talk about it on the home front, I came from a, you know, middle-class family, Mom was a teacher, dad was a contractor. So um, financially, we were okay, but we didn't really talk about it. And so when I was going into it, I was like, all right, I just got to figure it out. You know, I'll, I'll just figure it out on the way. Mm -hmm. And have the conversations and also have to be mindful that there's generation gaps, right? What worked for, for my parents doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for me just because times have changed. You know, my, my parents didn't have a $140 cell phone bill every month to worry about that we, you know, with technology advances and there's so many different ways we're spending money now 
than what mm-hmm. they did. Um, pensions and that secure income or kind of thing of the past. So it's having conversations. Don't be, um, again, embarrassed to reach out to a professional and, you know, a specialist in the industry as healthcare providers, we rely on specialists and, you know, that's why we have jobs. People come to us when they're hurt. So on the flip side, financially, if you're hurt, find a, find a provider. Kind of a side question from that one. Any resources that you've, and this is kind of the next question, but I'll leave it for as it is. Mm-hmm. When you said, you know, you would have gone back and tried to learn or soak up more. Have you come across anything that you would be like what you would consider a good starter place, book, you know, website, anything like that, that somebody, if they're just like, man, I really need to start looking into this that you would recommend? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, um, there's entertainers out there that provide some good information. Um, you know, you have like uh, Dave Ramsey, I think, you know, he has good information. There's also information that he provides that I don't necessarily agree with. I don't think, um, again, you just have to be mindful that they're speaking to the masses. So it doesn't always necessarily apply to you individually. Um, and then on the flip side, uh, there's a, um, David McKnight, is an author. I liked a lot of his information and he published, it's called the power of zero. And it's really looking at how to position your money into tax-free buckets. And what's funny is when you, um, you have Dave Ramsey who says never do whole life insurance, but then you have David McKnight saying to get to the power of zero cash value life insurance has to be one of the pieces of the puzzle. And so there's conflicting information. You have specialists out there. One says yes, one says no. It's like, well, what, what do I do? Sure. And that's where, you know, you go. Um, there's a lot of good apps and tools. We use what's called the living balance sheet to help our clients get organized. Um, but if even an Excel spreadsheet, you know, to document and track and put it on paper. Um, but nowadays, there's, um, you have every dollar, mint, um, there's all different types of apps. So it's like, find something that works for you, sure. um, that you're comfortable using and that you're disciplined enough to use. That's the other <laughs> trick yep, of it. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. But, yeah. So then the next question was, is what has been the most influential resource you found in your career? Ooh. Um, it's actually, it's networking, to be honest, and other professionals. Yep. I, I've met so many awesome, you know, to your point, yes, like how much of my base, client base is athlete trainers. And I'm licensed now in 23 states. Uh, um, we're well over 150 athlete trainers that are clients. That's um, awesome. Have, you know, physicians. And so it's, um, I've met so many cool people and just how we got introduced, you know, with Mike Khan, you know, Mike yep. and I go back, awesome guy. And it's like, Hey, we, you know, let's just have conversations. Like let's learn from each other. Let's, let's provide it. And, um, you know, just through, through that, that camaraderie, the conversations you pick up so much and then it's like, okay, yeah, I can go, I'm going to research this a little bit more. You know, when you leave that conversation. That's been a common one. Um, networking as i think it should be for good influences um as a professional in your role and 
working with ATs, how could they better take care of their financials? What have you seen? And you probably have already answered this. Um, I think I can answer it for you, but I'll get, let you do it. <laughs> yeah. Understanding cash flow right from the start, protect their todays, and have, I'm a firm believer, protect your todays, become a world class saver, prepare for life events, and then tackle debt. And, you know, if you put in that process and again, break it down. And for some people, they're going to go through the steps fast. Other people, it may take a while based on mm -hmm. where they're at. But stay disciplined, stay organized. And again, don't be afraid to, to reach out for a conversation. Again, may have already answered this question, but we're going to ask it anyway. So if you could eliminate, change one thing um, in the profession of athletic training, I'd say even the, for the profession or as it relates to finances, what would it be? I would love to see athletic trainers get paid what we're worth. I know we work so hard. We have so much talent. Uh, we're, we're motivated. We're disciplined. We have, I think in general, good hearts. You know, we just want to, we want to help people um, and we can save companies. We can save schools. We can save um, athletes money, uh, save them time going to, you know, unnecessary appointments that mm -hmm. you know, can be treated outside of it. So I think there's a lot of value. We have to continue being advocates um, just for the profession, for ourselves. And I know a lot of times the hardest part is where does that money come from? And I've been there as an athletic director, as a sports medicine supervisor, I wanted to pay my athletic trainers, you know, top, um, top dollar compared to everyone else. Right. But there's limitations that, you know, there's the hurdles um, with budgets and, you know, where the, the hospital system, the school, uh, where their money's tied up at. So we have to be, you know, again, disciplined in our advocacy for the program and the opportunity that there is to provide education, provide the education um, and continue just building relationships and having conversations with key stakeholders. You know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, just, you know, popping in, saying hi, write them a quick thank you uh, for, for what they do. And it, over time by building the trust, building relationships, it's just going to open up more and more opportunities to, to spread our message, to allow us um, to explain or express our concerns and what we would like. I like that. Well said. Uh, what does serving athletic trainers mean to you? And if you want to end also on that, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Again, it's being, for me, it's about helping and serving others uh, first and foremost and make enhancing the experience. I always, when I was working in the trenches as an athletic trainer, all I want to do is enhance the experience for the athlete, for the coaches, for the parents. Um, and even now I still do durable medical equipment fitting on the side and it's just give the patient the best experience possible. And I draw, drew a blank. What was the first part of that question? I just wanted to serving athletic trainers mean to you and in, in now your role. Yeah. And, and being a resource, you know, that's, that's my role now. I want to just let you know that here's a resource conversation. Um, I'm not in my team, regardless of who you speak, we're not going to be calling you every day, uh, you know, hounding you. It's have a conversation. This is what we can provide you. And at that point, it's it's up to you if you would like to implement all some, none, 
of anything that we observe or rec recommend, but just know that the resources are out there and available to you. Perfect. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. I know it opened my eyes to more things. And so I'll be having more conversations from that. But if people wanted to follow you, connect with you, um, what would be the best way for them to go about doing that? And we'll link all this up. Yeah. So um, our website is www.ipgphilly.com. And you can go in there, just type start a conversation. And there's some little things with, uh, you know, living balancing some tools and resources that we have available. Um, also show some of our association alliances. Uh, we are doing work with the Pennsylvania Athletic Trainer Society. Um, I'm presenting out in Tennessee um, at their symposium in March. Nice. We're doing stuff with the University of Pittsburgh in March. Um, and we're also doing a seminar series with Maryland Athletic Trainers, the young professionals. Awesome. So, um, you know, if you're in any of those states or going to be attending any of those conferences, maybe we'll see you there. Um, Facebook, we have, it's called Financial Statements, uh, capital A-T in Statements. And again, I just wanted to create a platform for athletic trainers to go. And if they have financial related questions, um, whether it's being a business owner, um, you know, questions that they have financially related to the industry, feel free to start a conversation. Um, and my cell phone number, I'm Again, very transparent on this stuff, but my cell phone's 215-595-7132. And you can always just give me a call or shoot me a text. All right. Well, we will put all of that in there. I just want to thank you again. Uh, this was very insightful. Glad we got to make this happen and look forward to maybe having a follow-up sometime in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Joel. And if there's any, again, any other opportunities or a specific topic your audience wants to listen to, Happy to set it up. Perfect. That sounds great. All right, man. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more information at athletictrainingchat.com. Check out the Athletic Training Daily Journal 14-day sample. Use promo code ATDJ14 to get it for free. No payment method required to check that out. And again, thank you to Mueller Sports Medicine for helping this podcast get up and go. If you're interested in being on the podcast let us know we'd love to hear your story and for your time we'll hook you up with an at chat and mueller t-shirt um to show that you were on the podcast and that we got to hear and share your story so again thank you and we we'll look forward to talking to you in the next episode